welcome to the podcast, Thomas Life and Coffee, where we share stories of overcomers. And today on our podcast, we have Dr. Kim West, licensed clinical pastoral counselor, and I will let her get into what that is exactly. It sounds very interesting. And then, of course, Kim's going to share her amazing story with us today. So, Kim. Hi. You doing good today? Glad to have you on the podcast. Yes, it's actually sunshining here in Oregon, so I am very excited to go outside later today. I was going to say, one of the few days you get in the wintertime, right? Right. It's starting to turn, though. It's starting to get a few more sunny days, so very excited to get back out on the courts and have fun. Good. Yay. I'm excited about your new uh, endeavor here, working with overcomers. I think that's brilliant and something that we forget we can be when we've been through trauma. I've been working with trauma for 20 years. I'm pretty good at now at getting people through their trauma healed and whole. And so when you were talking about would I come on and talk about the overcomers, I was like, absolutely. I'm excited about this. Yeah, so so tell us about the licensed clinical pastoral counselor. What is that? And because you said it was different than just a licensed counselor. Yeah, it was an intentional decision for me to go in this direction. So instead of holding a state license, which would limit what I can do, and especially as they keep implementing new, I don't know, laws and political correctness, there would be things that I would not be able to talk to someone about down the road. So I went ahead and it is, I'm an ordained minister. And then because of that, I could get a pastoral counseling license. So I got my doctorate. I have the same background, the same teaching as someone who holds state licensure. I just chose not to go that way. And the reason is that I don't even know how someone gets through trauma without some kind of faith without integrating something bigger than themselves that would make sense of all of the things that they went through. So my counseling is very much faith-based, very much Christ is in the room with us. And that's why I think I'm so successful at getting people healed from trauma. Right. That adds a whole nother aspect to set of tools, if you will, to what you're doing. That's amazing. But as I understand it, you're an overcomer. That's big why you're on this podcast today. So share that with us. Okay. Let us in on your story Uh, journey. All right. Telling my story isn't something I normally do. I'm usually listening to other people's stories. So this will be different for me. My story started, the first thing I remember my mother ever saying to me was, I wish you had never been born. I was four years old at the time. And she wasn't having a bad day. She really wished I had never been born. She went on to have like birthday parties for my brother and sister and not for me. I was not allowed to do anything extracurricular, arts or music or anything that would take up her time or income. And so coming from that, children don't think there's something wrong with mom. They think there's something wrong with them. And so I had what I would call existence guilt. I wasn't even supposed to be here. It was not a good thing that I was here. And so at first I remember trying everything I could to make mom love me, that didn't work. And I even remember doing bad things to see if that would get her attention. She just didn't care. And so you come up with survival skills. How am I going to live in this way? So mine was to be invisible. 
I figured if I was invisible, I could just stay out of the way and nobody would know what I was doing and I could stay out of trouble. So I'm going through school and stuff like that. And then my father decided he wanted a promotion at work and allowed his boss to molest me so that he could get that. But I remember thinking, it doesn't matter, it's only me. Because right, when we're shame-based, when we don't have a real good sense of our own identity, then we just figure it doesn't matter. I don't matter. So keep going forward. I had more sexual abuse. My first intimacy was a rape by uh, kidnapping from a stranger. My My world just kept falling apart layer by layer by layer. And so after that, it was, I'm totally a mess after that one that guy was going to kill me god did intervene and that did not happen but then it was i don't i can't handle this anymore so i started doing drugs just to numb out and continued i was always good at school so even even though i was incredibly high most of the time i was still doing okay at school and then i remember just thinking i have no idea what normal is I have no idea what healthy is. After all of the different abuses that I've gone through and all that, I I was pretty much a mess. I was pretty broken on every level. At that time, I didn't know who God was. I had figured there couldn't have been a God if all of those things had happened to me. So I went on with life, just doing drugs, not caring too much about anything. I had, it was kind of wandering through life, didn't know what I was going to do. But that path was leading somewhere. There's always a purpose for what we go through. And at one point, I think I was probably about 21, I had just decided I was done with life and I was gonna just kill myself. It was, I was just done. And so I was, we lived in Boulder, Colorado at the time and I was married. My husband was an audio engineer and traveling all the time, so I was alone. And I started driving the canyons to see where I could guarantee I wouldn't survive if I drove off because with my luck, I figured I'd just be physically a mess afterwards. So I probably would have found it within days, but a friend asked if I would come to her house and I went over and she said, you know what, Kim, I'm going to heaven and I don't want to go without you. And that broke through in a way that nothing had before. Someone cared about me enough that they wanted me to be their friend for eternity. Before that, I had either not believed in God or hated God. And now Marla and I sat up all night and in the morning, everything was different. I mean, it was just like walking through Oz from black and white to color. Everything looked different and there was a God that loved me and I haven't been the same since. So this big transformation was like, now what do I do with myself? Why, why has this happened? And so that set me on this path to figure out what is normal, what is healthy. So I went uh, the education route, which a lot of people do, did the college and master's and doctorate, had kids, this whole time. I was pretty ill for a while with undiagnosed Lyme. So I was sick for like 20 years in this whole process. But a healed heart is a free heart. And when your heart has been healed, because God was continually healing me, he was 
walking me through these traumas, reframing what had happened, showing me that he had always been there. The times when I thought were the most bleak, the most dark, that God wasn't there, he was. And so as he's healing me and setting me free, what I find is that this is my life's calling, is to help other people get healed and whole and free. We can build from the broken pieces of our life something amazing and something wonderful. We don't have to be a victim. We can choose to use that pain instead as something that we can build upon. So one of the things I have found as I work with people is they are wounded in a particular way. They get healed and now they are equipped in a way no one else is to help someone else to heal that has also gone through the same thing. So that's amazing. Kim, can I ask you a question before I forget it? So you touched on something that really jumped out to me and I know it could potentially be self-explanatory, but please share more on the existing existence guilt. Like, Mm -hmm. what is that? What, what, and how do you, like, how do you know if that's something you. Okay. Okay. Existence guilt. I find a lot, not just because of, I happen to have my mom tell me that I shouldn't be here, but it comes from a shame-based personality. A shame-based personality happens usually in childhood. It can happen later in adulthood in really abusive situations, but it comes from a childhood where, let me explain something. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. It's really, really different. So if I am something wrong, everywhere I go, I am terrified that someone will see who I am because if they only knew, they would reject me. And so people in trauma almost always have a shame-based personality when they come through it in childhood. The existence guilt is a form of that shame-based personality, but it's taking it pretty far. Shame says, I need to hide who I am. This type of shame says, I'm so horrible that I shouldn't even be here. I am so shame-filled that there's no reason for me to exist. And so very difficult to have friends. You just don't fit in anywhere because you feel different than everyone else does. Right. No, that's, that makes so much sense. And and it's, I've never heard that before. I've never heard of existence, existence guilt. That is, but that, I feel like that resonates with a lot more people now that you've described that. So as, as, as they're listening to this, I know there's going to be people that, that resonates with because I, I, first of all, I've never heard of it. Second of all, but as you describe it, I really liked how you took the guilt and put the definition and the shame and put the definition because a lot of times, like even based on the way I grew up, like that's, you don't separate that at all. seems like it's meshed together, but really when you start identifying what it is that you're really where you fit in and where you're struggling with, obviously that's something that you will start the process of identifying and, and healing. So that's great. So when you, you said you, you, of course you went through all of these, these horrible things and the, the sexual abuse, but you said you got into drugs. Mm-hmm. Was that something you started in high school or was that something that happened after? I was... 14 when they kidnapped and I was going into school high school a couple months later up until that point I had really 
there are people around me doing drugs. And I had always said, I'm never going to do that. But it was after that happened and I was so destroyed by it. I just didn't know what else to do. So I went into high school already starting to do drugs. That continued on through most of my 20s or a good portion of it. Even after I came to Christ, there was a time where there was an overlap as I'm kind of learning this new identity because remember my old identity was so shame-filled. And so the transition from going from that kind of identity to one where you feel okay about yourself there's an overlap in there. It doesn't just happen in one day for most people anyway. And so it took time for those wounds to be healed, for me to start to see myself as God saw me instead of how my mom saw me and my abusers saw me. And so to take back my life from other people's opinions of me was essential. And so when I work with people with trauma, which is my, I love to do, I'm always looking at who do they think they are? And what were the voices? Who told them that? What did they adopt from other people that they put in their head and now they tell themselves over and over again, because they're lies. And so if the truth sets you free, it's the lies that imprison you. So as I find an identity lie in someone and we correct that to what is actually true as God sees it, then that person does get healed. And as we do these layers of lies, the broken hearts heal and the mind starts to change, how they see themselves change. And then they have an opportunity to do something with their life. Otherwise, this shame just kind of is a self-sabotager that's always going on inside, keeping you from overcoming and excelling. Man, that's powerful. That is so powerful. So you, you also shared something in your story that really, I mean, it, it, hit close, it hits close to home. You were talking about like it, you were just going to end it all. Like it was going to be more, you know, easier to do, go that route, essentially. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little, little more about that. Like, what was the mindset? What were you, you know, obviously the initial driving factors that you've mentioned, was there anything else that was like, that's the trigger? That's, this is why I'm making this decision now. I was just pretty much done. You know, I was just done. Life just didn't seem to have any purpose for me. And it just seemed like I just kept getting knocked around all the time. Some of those, it's like you get this wound And if it doesn't heal, there's always people around that'll pick at it and make sure that it doesn't heal. It's one of the things the evil one does is he wounds someone in a particular way and then make sure that that wound doesn't heal. And so I had just reached a point where I wasn't, it wasn't this big event. It was just, I'm done. I'm just done. I can't do this anymore. So nothing more than that. And I think that isn't unusual for people. Sometimes it's a huge event where someone says, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. But often it's this incremental day by day, year by year, building up to, I just can't do this anymore. And I think you're, I think you're hitting on something so powerful right there, because when I had my moment, it, at the time that all the lead up to it, and then the the day of, like, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big event. It was like, this is just the next step in the evolution of the horribleness that's my life. Mm. 
like this, the, you know, I, at least I get to decide how this ends, yeah. right? I can end it now, or I can continue to live this, this day, right? Get up every day facing the same thing. So, but it was years after that event that I realized like that was a huge deal. Like what I was contemplating right there was so big, but because of all of the mess that was happening, it really wasn't at the moment in my mind that big a deal. It was just the next step in the evolution. Is that, I mean, does that sound familiar? Is that, cause this, that right there is speaking to so many more people that, you know, has ever thought about suicide or considered that. Mm, yeah, it does. It is an evolution until this just seems like the only way out. The thing with suicidal ideation is that it creates a tunnel vision. So it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until the only thing that you think will help is suicide and you can't see any more options anymore. You can't see any other way out. It becomes the only way out. And what I find from myself and others that I talk to is not that we don't want to live. It's just like, I can't, this pain is too much. I just want the pain to stop. It wasn't um, thinking about what happens afterwards is just, it's just too much pain. And so, and again, that kind of ideation that goes, this is the only way out is a lie. Right. It's a total lie. They did a study on people that were jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's only a few that have survived, but all of them said, within the second they jumped off the bridge, they said, I don't wanna die, which is really interesting. In that, those last moments, they're like, wait, this isn't what I want. We all really wanna live. We wanna have joy. We wanna have a life that has meaning to it. And, but we sometimes can't figure out how to get there. That's where we get depressed and we have our shame-based life and after a while we just got can't do this anymore but when someone shows them doesn't have to be this way there is life there is hope there is healing there is removal of all of these obstacles to joy and absolutely everybody wants to live that's awesome that's so powerful oh my gosh i think that part right there alone is going to impact so many people as they listen to this. So let's, let's just transition into like, why education of all the things that people that have the trauma that have the, this type of life, you know, they, when they become adults, there are multiple different options and education and further education, in my experience, isn't the most popular but you chose it. Mm-hmm. What was the driving force? Why, why was that? Decision? I'm, I'm just wired to be that way. I'm just kind of a nerd. I would be in school all the time if I could. I love learning, but I don't love learning just to learn because I, I love to learn something that I can then share that changes other people's lives. I was always, like I said, good at school. Before I started doing drugs, I had a, a photographic memory and I would get in trouble on a test because my teachers would think that I had cheated, but I could say, no, it's on page 112, second paragraph down. I mean, I could see it in my head. And then after I did drugs, that was just gone, which is kind of unfortunate, but I have always just, I'm just being who I am and who I am as someone who loves to learn and then loves to share what I learn. So that I just followed my path. Okay. So you, you went to college, you got your PhD, 
your counseling. What was, how did you arrive at the decision to go, I'm going to work with these type of people? It seems like it would be a natural, like, Hey, if I'm going to be a counselor, I want to work with people that are, was that it? Or was there something else? Two things happened. I originally wasn't going to be a counselor, but I was in a program where they had a required counseling class. And so you actually had to counsel, record yourself counseling, and then do write it out where this is what I'm saying and this is why I'm saying it. And my professor said, you're the most naturally gifted counselor I've ever met. Don't do anything but this. I had never thought of it. I was like, really? But then I realized even though I was a mess, people had always talked to me and I, I was good at listening, which is a huge part of counseling. So that got me on the path to do that. After I had gotten my master's and started counseling, God just threw me in the deep end. My very first client, and I never call them patients, I call them clients because we're not all sick. I don't think someone who has issues in their life and in their past is sick. So I always call them clients. But anyway, this woman had so much trauma. It was unbelievable. And I just, you know, you have all of this stuff in your head and you've learned all of this and we did some practice counseling and all that, but this was like, oh my gosh. And I remember thinking, I don't know what to do, God. And he said, how about you bring me in? And so I started to work with her with God. And I know that's bizarre to most people to hear. And I don't even know how to explain it. But she started to get healed. As we for I can give you a good example. In trauma, we have that shame based personality. Right. So if I were to tell her, you know, God is in the room with you, because he's everywhere present. What does he think about you? How would he feel about you? And at first, she was like, he would think I was disgusting and and dirty and as we processed it i was like but this is who god is he says that he loves you he knows every hair on your head he knows everything about you why would he choose to be here with you if you're so disgusting and as we worked it through she finally came to the realization that like i did there's a god that loves me so now we have all of those shame identity thoughts But then we have a God who's never wrong, who says, I like you. I love you. I have a plan for your life. And so then it became more of a choice. See, growing up, we don't have a choice when we're in abuse. We just live the life we live and we make the determinations of who we are based upon what's happening to us. So we don't have a choice. We just adopt that lie about ourselves But now we had God here who's giving her a choice. But this is who I say that you are. And so which voice is bigger? And she decided that God's voice was bigger and started to adapt adapt her thinking and adopt what he was thinking about her instead of what the abusers had said about her. And so after that particular woman, I was working with her, I swear every person that came to me was all trauma-based. No. I didn't get a someone with a quote unquote simple depression or anxiety or, you know, uh, conflicts in their marriage. It was all trauma. I just got thrown in the deep end. And so God was going, this is how you are going to work. This is the people that you're going to love and care for and help me to heal. 
And so I've just been doing that since for the last 20 years. And I see people so incredibly broken, healed and made whole, have joy, their identities reset to where it should have always been. So I love what I do. Yeah, that is, oh my gosh, that's a great part of your story about the, just being thrown into the deep end. Obviously he knew you could handle it if he put you there. So that's, that's great. And it's really helped you make uh, the impact that you're making for the last 20 years. So one of the things that has really, I was thinking about this before our conversation today about the victim and the victor, Mm -hmm. that process there, right? So Mm -hmm. even though we're victims of what's, you know, outside what's happening to us, flipping it to the victor, right? Some people would look at that and go, well, I'm just able to get up and go do my job and be a productive citizen every day. But that person could still be a victim, like still look at their life mm-hmm. as Absolutely. a victim. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that. If Yeah. Yeah. We all tell ourselves a story and our story can be, I'm a victim. Our story can be, I'm victorious. Uh, my story can, I mean, there's just a hundred different kinds of story. I'm worthless. I'm great. I'm, you know, but anyway, as we tell ourselves a story, we pick up messages from the world around us that validate that story. And then we ignore everything else. We discount everything else that's opposite of that. So for example, I have a sister-in-law whose story is I'm a victim. So my husband had four siblings and we'd get together and they would, the whole family would talk about some vacation they took as kids. Everybody had the same story. This was great. It was so much fun, except for her because her story was victim. She could find the one part per billion that validated her story. So then she went on with her life, a couple of marriages and Her kids don't want to talk to her. I mean, see, she's a victim. So rather than tell herself, I'm going to change, I don't want to be a victim anymore. She's comfortable in her uncomfortableness and stays there. The story I tell myself directs my life in the way a rudder in the water does. Doesn't matter what direction I say I want to go in. If I don't pull that rudder out or change its direction, I'm headed in that particular way. So when I was growing up, obviously I was a victim, but at the same time, there was something inside of me that just refused until I was almost going to kill myself, just refused to stop, refused to fight. And there was something in me that said, I know I'm made for more. And that got buried under a lot of shame. But as I got my own healing, that came forward. And it was just like, there is a fight in me that says, I refuse to be a victim. I'm going to figure out what healthy and normal is. I'm going to learn how to live in a victorious way because I'm not doing this anymore. And so I often say, Satan should have just left me alone. Because what he did was, because he went after me so hard, man, I have a fight in me that goes, yeah, I'm going to be one of your worst enemies now because I'm coming after you. I'm coming after what you do to people. I am now your enemy. And I'm, you should have just left me out alone. I would have lived a mediocre little life and <laughs> not been a problem for you. But if I can change my story, then I can change my life. And as I do that, everything opens up. There's a whole new future that comes alive that I didn't know was possible while I told myself I was a victim. 
Yeah, that just blew my mind. That's so crazy. So the, the similarities I'm hearing from the things that I've read and the things that the, the things that I've seen and now you're talking about is how powerful the words that we use, especially when we're talking about ourselves. Mm-hmm. That yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. So you're so in a sense you're saying we can in changing our story and changing our journey and changing our direction, we can start talk start changing the way that we talk about ourselves, the way we talk about our story. Is that, is that? Oh, absolutely. One of the books I wrote, everything I read and write is to change people's lives. It's called 10 Days to Silence Your Inner Bully. Okay. Most of people that have gone through trauma and some that haven't have an inner bully, you know, that one that tells you, you can't do this, or you're not enough, or you're a loser, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That voice that plays in our head keeps us from actually becoming and living out the life we were supposed to have. And so we have to figure out the first three days of that 10 days sucks because you're figuring out where those voices came from. You have to kind of go back and look at my mom told me this and this happened to me. And right. And so, but those people don't even need to be there anymore because we adopt their voice and stick it in our head. And so it's with us all the time, but it's not true. It's part of the story. So after we can really identify what those messages are, where they came from, then we can start attacking them and we can hold them up to what God says about us too. And so if I am feeling like, and I tell myself I'm insignificant, God goes, I sent my son to die specifically for you. I don't know how much more significant you could be than that. Right. So we, we take that lie and we hold truth up to it. And then we start to adopt a new voice in our head. And that voice in our head is encouraging and supporting and loving. Now that other stuff doesn't hold us back. So we can take everything that was done to us, reframe it, undo it, heal it, and then turn it into something that we build upon out of that wreckage. We just build on top of it using those pieces so that we rise above it and, and just go, I refuse to be defeated. I absolutely refuse to be defeated. Yes. Yes. So I have to ask. Yeah. Who has been a huge influence in your life? Who has been somebody that has been like a defining person that's really, it's really been there. It's really been a, a part of your journey, a big part of your journey. In terms of healing, it's really been because I'm a nerd, lots of books, lots of reading, a couple of professors who have supported me and seen me when I didn't even see who I was. They could kind of see through the shame and the crap and go, no, I, I can see who you are and I encourage you. I don't really have a particular one person that I can say other than Jesus Christ, who's been the love of my life and the one that's been healing me the most, but I continue to read all the time. I'm always learning because I'm just wired to do that. And I think this side of heaven, we're all going to have a little bit of brokenness. So there's no, Hey, I reached it. I'm done. Right. We just should be continuing to walk the path. I'm a couple of steps ahead of some people. And so then I can help them along. And there's still people that are a couple steps ahead of me that I can follow. But yeah, I'm always looking, as a matter of fact, for more insights and more depth and more teaching, because there's always a lot more to learn. 
That is so great. That's, wow, that is, that's something I think that all of us can really take as advice. You know, there's, there's somebody, there's, there's some people that we're a couple steps ahead of, and then there's the people that are a couple steps ahead of us and, you know, and are, and we're helping the ones that are a couple steps behind, you know, are, are impacting and making a positive uh, impact to influencing them in a, in a positive way that, wow, that's you, the things you shared in this conversation today, man, it's, it's really impacted me. It, oh, it really has spoken to a lot of things that like I wasn't aware of. I'm still blown away by the existence guilt. That's still, that's it, was just a, it was just a phrase I came up with about my how I felt and it just seemed to fit really well. And I found other people that it fits really well for as well. Okay. Well, let's, you know, before we uh, wrap this up, let's talk about some resources. I mean, we we know you're a licensed clinical pastoral counselor, but you also have some resources yourself and some you're developing. So you want to talk a little bit about those? The biggest thing that I do that I, that makes the quickest impact. I do a, a counseling intensive for people who have been through trauma. So I'm starting one next weekend. We'll start on Friday. We'll be done on Sunday. All of her trauma memories will be healed. 100% guaranteed or her money back kind of thing. I love doing those because I see this person Friday and they are broken and in pain and doubting and they just don't know. They're like desperate to be healed, but they don't really believe it's going to happen. By Sunday, when we're done, I get to see this person and the weight of the world is off their shoulders. They have actual joy on their face. And we look back through all that we've worked on and they could say something like, I got raped, I had breakfast. They both feel exactly the same emotionally. So these traumas are healed in a weekend. Now that doesn't mean they know how to live as a healed person, right? They don't, maybe don't know how to set boundaries. They don't know how to, they may not even know who they truly are because it's been so buried by shame. So then the fun work starts, that's life coaching. That's rebuilding the life they always should have had, but their trauma is done. We're healed. So that's the biggest thing that I do and I love to do. And the, the people don't all need an intensive Right. And so I've been thinking recently, what is it that I can do? Because I normally just work one-to-one. So how do I reach more people, help more people? And so I started it, something called Me Anxiety Free, because anxiety is huge in our culture, in our world today. It just is growing uh, exponentially. And so it is eight of my best works in a membership site and working through it. So it'll have the 10 days to silence your inner bully. I'll take charge of your mind released from fear, etc. So it's a huge course that if somebody goes through it with me, they're going to come out the other side without their anxiety anymore, without that voice in their head that beats them up, without panic attacks, all of that gets healed. And so I'm doing that. It's a membership site that you're working your way through the materials and then I have a Facebook group that we can talk about every day so I can actually hit a group of people. And then for people that want additional support, they can join where we meet once a week 
for an hour and a half in a group meeting so that I can talk to them personally and address individual uh, issues in their life and do some counseling. And so I'm super excited about that. I'm actually just about to launch it. Okay. And uh, I have some people going through it right now, just kind of a beta tester. And they're all thinking this is pretty wonderful, but their anxiety just in the couple of weeks they've been in, it has been going down every day. So I can reach a bunch of people this way. And, you know, because anxiety is another one of those things that it's in your head. You're telling yourself negatives and awfulizing and what ifs, and it steals your life. It is a prison. And so I'm, my goal is to help as many people get free as I can. That's great. Those three things there are really powerful. I can tell. And if you want to share any of those, you know, you send me the link over, we'll definitely put it in the, the oh, description. And uh, that way the any of you guys that are listening to this can go to the, the link below and click on it and find out more about what Kim is doing, you know, changing the world. So Kim, I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today and just share your story and share the amazing things that have come out of it that is you and this the powerful resources and how you're impacting the world and changing it. Oh, it was such a pleasure and a privilege to be here. I'm so glad you asked me to come on. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And I can tell you're going to be on here a few more times. Definitely. <laughs> anytime. People, I'll come people on anytime. Have, yeah, people, people need, you know, they need what you have. And so I think it's such a, such a powerful thing. So, so thank you. And for those who are listening, thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to having you on the next podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Thomas Life and Coffee podcast. If you found what you heard today to be helpful and want to take advantage of one of the resources Dr. Kim West spoke about in today's podcast, a link will be in the description below. If something about her story resonated with you, especially if you are currently in your overcomer story and need a little help or push, then please reach out and I will be happy to take some time and visit with you. You can click on the link below for a free clarity session.